What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Miss Nakomi Turner. I fucking inadvertently call her Nakomi Taylor for some reason right at the start of this thing, which is super embarrassing. Um, but I could have like started over and did it again. But I'm a human. I make mistakes. Uh, you all probably make mistakes too. So I just kept it in there, and um, we settle into things after a little bit of awkwardness for me just fucking shit up right from the get-go. Um, but that's pretty normal. It's no big deal. Uh, we have a nice conversation. Uh, Nakomi is in a show tonight at Fecal Face Gallery. Uh, hopefully I'm getting this podcast put out today, which is Friday, uh, what, the 25th. Um, the show is uh, called Four Percenters. And we get into some of the um, issues surrounding um, women in art and some of the issues that they have to face and some of the work that's being made in um, response to that. So we have a, a long conversation, so I think we should just jump right into this thing. Of course, you can always follow me at Mike Maxwell Art. Uh, donate to the podcast if you so desire. Um, it'd be very generous of you. You can do that at MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the podcast and hit the PayPal link in there, and you can uh, drop a little dough. So um, is there anything else? Uh, I'm coming up. I'm a, I'm a few days behind. I, I did the Kaboo Art Festival uh, this past weekend and still semi-recovering. So um, I don't have anything lined up after this, but I'm sure we'll get some new episodes out here soon. Uh, thanks for listening, and um, let's give Nakomi a call. Miss Nakomi Taylor. Uh, I called God damn it. I focused. That's so bad. I wow. focused so hard on your first name that I completely butcher your last name. That's the like the easiest part. <laughs> How is that even possible? Like, Turner's my, like the most common English name. <laughs> my heart just my heart just sunk. Can we start can we start over? Can we just pretend like that? Because really, you know, I, I'm gonna leave this because I feel like like such a fucking idiot. <laughs> and to know that like we make mistakes <laughs> but really like my heart just sunk I, I focused so much time and effort and like even put in a little background check even i even looked into the the origin of your first name and <laughs> and i just completely the names are right in front of me like it's literally right in front of me it's <sighs> all's forgiven I'll pretend it didn't happen. Hey, 170 episodes, and this is still, like, the level of professionality that I bring to the table. It's very grassroots. You're, <laughs> you're rocking it. <laughs> I, I'm glad you give me that sort of pass. That's always a good one. <laughs> grassroots, you know? Fuck, we're, you know, we're common people. We make mistakes. We wore Birkenstocks. Oh, I've never in my life worn Birkenstocks. But, I mean, I'm not judging anybody who, who does. I wore Flohos. Do you remember flow hose? What the hell is, is that like a Teva or a Teva? What is a flow hose? You don't know what a flow hose is? No. Oh, uh, see, you, maybe it's a Southern California thing. Okay. You grew, you grew up Northern California? I grew up in Southern Oregon. I grew up on a farm. <laughs> well, hence not. <laughs> I guess that gives you a complete pass into not. No. So flow hose were like uh, a flip flop that had okay. a it had a cross like over the top of the foot 
um, and then like a heat, like a another strap that went kind of behind the heel, kind of like the like super Jesusy. Uh, I was gonna say it's a Jesus sandal. It's like Jesus sandal, but they were made out of all like rubber flip flop material, like eighty surfer thing. Ah, uh, no, <laughs> doesn't sound right. They they I... were they had a hypnosis factor for at least five years, maybe. <laughs> So, yeah, I feel like uh, that's a great way to start the show. <laughs> Shoe wear and uh, mispronouncing names. Maybe we could um, start by maybe talking about how you got your name. Since it's... <sighs> yeah. Um, it's just weird. Like, I, I kind of thought for several years, um, probably until I was like 10, that it was like... Um, because of this Hiawatha story and like, um, I think she was like the daughter of the moon, Nokomis, um, which I later found out was total bullshit. <laughs> um, my mom, she actually just couldn't decide between whether she wanted to name me Nicole or Naomi. So she just smashed them together. Um, so literally like I have this name because of someone being indecisive. That's great. I, and uh, you know, that's kind of, I think sometimes names come out of uh, a confusion. Like, I got my name only because I was born on my father's birthday. So I actually got his full name. Oh, man. Which I would have been a completely different name, maybe a completely different person. And so I've had a ton of people on the show whose names are difficult to pronounce, and I've had to, like, figure it out ahead of time. And there's something to parents naming their kids a certain name that lends credence to the idea that it sets them up for a creative path. Yeah. I, I can see that now as an adult, like when I was growing up, like, you know, I grew up in kind of a rural area, you know, and it's like everyone that I knew, it was like Jason, Ashley. Yeah. Um, I, I think I was probably the only kid in my class and probably in my school that had just a weird name. And I always felt like, so like, I don't know. I didn't like people having to like try and spell my name. Yeah, it brings, these it brings on a self-consciousness, sort of. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I, I got over it, you know, in like middle school. I just stopped caring. But it's like when you're a kid, like sometimes that can like mess you up. And I don't know. That's I was um I was just talking to Eric Evac yesterday and uh, we we were saying like, you know, sometimes like some fucked up shit that happens to kids, like uh, maybe like some type of adversity um, or something that like some sort of emotional like issue to overcome or to be challenged yeah. by also yeah. presets these sort of creative paths. Yeah, I can totally see that. But nobody would I ever mean- want to set their kid up for that, though, right? Well, yeah, and, like, I actually had a woman. She emailed me. I get weird emails. Like, I don't even – I don't – I must have put something out into the universe to just get weird emails <laughs> from people. But, like, she emailed me, and she was, like – I'm, like, I'm, I don't – I give this voice to, like, every woman when I read. I'm, like – she's, like, I'm having a daughter, and I really want to name her Nakomi. What does that name mean? And I was, like, wow, you should probably pick a, pick a name that – isn't going to like set them up for like having a very confusing first like six years of their life. And you know, that's a whole other like form of, of strangeness too. Besides like there, there are parents who specifically try to name their kids something really off the wall and different. And like re- Apple. <laughs> right. 
So, like, and I wonder what if people if it's almost like I don't think parents really put. Like I know parents put thoughts into names, but I don't think they put that lengthy of a. And you know, if somebody's having kids at a young age, they're still kids themselves, and they're not really aware of how it's affected them sometimes. Yeah, for sure. No, I completely agree. And it's like if I, I probably would have done the same thing. Like I probably, if I was like a teenage mom or something, I would have been like, you know, oh, this is my son. His name's Morrissey. You know, like I, I get how how that happens it's just i don't know this is weird i think um so i although i'm certain that i've seen your work a number of times in the past um you know how sometimes like you see things and then like somebody else tells you about something and it kind of puts all like the puzzle pieces together and you kind of like form a full idea um my wife is actually she was like we just started um i've been periscoping for a little bit and she just got on she's like you really need to go um check out this girl Nakomi I think you'd really like her drawings and I th- I'm certain that I've seen your stuff on like the art blogs and juxtapose and that sort of thing and yeah. um I caught like she like told me one of your shows was on and I went and watched it and I was like oh yeah I totally I need to talk to her and um so I'm, I'm curious how you decided to start you know I'm, I'm noticing a lot of artists come in and starting to do uh the periscopes but you seem to have a little bit different connection than maybe some of the stuff that I've seen. You know, Periscope gets weird, right? But uh, yeah. <laughs> how did you stumble into doing that? And do you enjoy doing, like, the live drawing process for people? So whenever I, like, on Instagram, sometimes I'll just post, like, little clips, um, like, working um, kind of more or less just for my own amusement. <laughs> yeah. um, I like – sometimes I like technology and sometimes I, it's – freaks me out but um I saw my friend uh my friend Kevin was like I guess just doing live drawing on Periscope and I was like what the hell is that you know and it's like you can't watch a Periscope I don't think without like having that app and I like I downloaded it and um it was just like whoa I can just sit here and like watch you work like that's pretty freaking great um and I gave it a try (laughs) Um, and people really enjoyed like watching, watching me work. Um, it's weird though. Cause I feel like you can't focus, you know, yeah. when you're on that, like it's, it's literally like part of me feels like this is kind of like, you know, you're not really watching me work because like most of the time, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm like two inches away from the paper as opposed to like having a tripod, like between my legs. Like, I don't know. It's, it's cool, but it's just, it's weird. I don't know. It still kind of creeps me out. You know, like you've got like 50 people watching you, watching you work and asking you questions, you know? Yeah. It definitely doubles the length of time that it takes to, to make the work. I would, I would assume. Yeah. And it's like, um, I, I even told people cause people are like, wow, thanks for doing this. You know? And I was like, I've, this is definitely not going to be something I'll make a habit out of, you know? Um, but I do, I don't know. It's kind of cool to like show people something that maybe they wouldn't ever get to see. Like I know that I, I enjoy that. Like watching my friends like create just, I don't know. There's something that's, um, really inspiring from that, you know? Yeah. I've, Um, every project I've done with a group of artists, I've always taken something from like working with a group of people over a few period, like a few days or like on a mural or something like that. Yeah, for sure. There's tons to learn. Yeah. I don't know. But then like, I feel like 
Periscope, in the back of my head, I, like, have this, like, horror movie thing that I'm, like, waiting for that thing to come on the news. Like, you know, serial killer stalks people on Periscope. I don't know. Like, it's still, like, it's such a, like, a weird concept to me, like, that we now have the ability to, like, you know, watch an old couple in Spain dance or, you know, watch someone, you know, sketch a model or watch someone... I don't know. I watched like refugees, um, like walking 20 miles. Like, wow. you know, it's, there's just these weird things where it's like the world got smaller in a strange, not so bad way, you yeah. know? Uh, but it seems like you're kind of waiting for like the rebound effect. Like, okay, here's the, <laughs> the, uh, what the honeymoon period is. We're in that period right now. Like we don't know what the effects will be. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, this is great. And then it's, you know, we'll we'll find out that, like, I don't know, this, like, spawns some awful thing. Maybe. But, uh, you know, I feel like, um, and maybe you can attest to this, like, artists who spend so much time in the studio, there's a level of aloneness, you know, a loneliness that sets in. And part of this allows us to maybe have some, like, human interaction that we might. And, and it's a very safe, like on our own terms, especially for artists, you know, who are like very, like, I need my own space typically. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, you can control like here, you can be in my space for, cause I, I can think of a million times that I've invited people over and then I'm thinking, all right, I wonder when they're going to leave. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's almost like having a virtual party that you can shut the door whenever you want. Yeah. There's some power yeah. in that. That might be the downfall period. Like, that might be the bad angle that sets off, like, some sort of weird social interaction problems. Well, yeah, I think we already, like, I mean, we obviously have that now. It's like, I've got teenage cousins, and it's like, get off your phone. Like, I'm sitting right here, you know? Stop. They're, they'll be, like, an inch apart and Snapchatting each other. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, talk. My niece, just, my niece just got into high school. It's her first year in high school. And it's literally like, t- like taking selfies at, like nonstop all day. And I was like, "How do you do? You fill up your phone like really fast? Like, what do you?" She's like, oh, "I just delete most of them." And you know, like not judge. I'm not judging like whatever she's yeah. going through in her life. Like that just makes her feel comfortable. Like I know a lot of times, like if she's feeling an insecurity, she's like almost like checking her insecurities like on her own through this device. And with that, like yeah. I could. I understand a little bit more, like, even though I have, as a 36 year old man, I have no idea what a 13 year old girl is going through. But I, if I try to like put myself in her shoes for a minute and not be just like goddamn kids and their phones and their selfies, and, <laughs> you know, it's like, there is, there is reasons, but it's like, fuck, you're probably like, what are you, what are you missing sometimes? I, I, that's what I feel like if I'm going to be critiquing, it's like, what, what interactions are you missing in real life? If any. Well, and it's, yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's kind of interesting. Like, we kind of remove ourselves out of, I guess, what we as humans consider, like, reality. You know, it's like, on your phone, it's still reality, but it's this weird fabricated reality. You know, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really strained. It's like the psychology behind all of that's just, it's interesting and, like, 
there's really like positive things I feel that have like come out of this technology and the things that we now have. But at the same time, there's, you do have to step back and go like, what am I missing? You know, or what are, what are we all missing now? You know, even, yeah, just experience itself, like experience for experience. But then at the same time, it's like part of, part of this social media sort of experiment, I guess, is this idea that we're all, we're all important enough to capture our own history and yeah. share it. And I think that's empowering in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I've been saying a lot lately about how, to me, it seems like people are getting more of their um, information and news, obviously from the Internet, but I think people are finding things out through the people that they trust as opposed to, like, major news media outlets who are obviously convincing them of bullshit most of the time. Yeah. Even even if it suits your particular political needs, you still can hear the like the ad space and the fucking you could hear the bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think a lot of people are becoming more empowered in terms of like sharing real news. Like we we see how much police brutality is affecting people in America, and before maybe the news would the the regular news like local news or city news or state you know papers or whatever would just shove that shit on the back page and nobody would see it yeah but now we're all capable we can we can we can share what's happening in our lives you know in a different way yeah for better words yeah exactly and it's kind of like you know it's kind of a little i think more difficult to cover things up you know which is i mean that's great because that's i mean what have we missed that it's been covered up that, uh, you, yeah. you know, you couldn't get away with now, which, I don't know, technology is weird. I a, love it. Though. It's a double-edged sword for sure. But yeah. what what isn't, though? Yeah, that's totally true. It's like, you know, what are we missing out because we all have cars, you know? Like, what are we missing out on? Like, any innovation, like, it's that weird, like give and take you know it's so funny you bring that up i was uh i went to um the 40th anniversary sky show here in san diego which is a big like they set fireworks to music and it's a thing that the local radio station like the like the classic rock radio station does every year and um i knew traffic was going to be a pain in the ass so i got dropped off turns out my walk to the stadium was a little bit longer than i had actually anticipated but yeah. meanwhile, I got to walk along the San Diego Riverbed and experience a bunch of things that I would have never picked up if I just drove my car by. And I think about that like riding bikes, too. Yeah, for sure. Yes, totally the same thing. There's like pros and cons, I think, to everything that we've added to our life. Yeah, but like Periscope, it would take like two times, three times as long to get around anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm curious, what sort of set you up on, besides your name, obviously, for a creative path? Uh, did you have some drawing skills early on um, or anybody who, like, sort of influenced you um, in terms of, like, you know, gave you a good push into to, to making things? It sounds cliche because I, I think most people who are, you know, are artists, you know, from childhood they were creating, you know, but it's like, I was always drawing because we lived so far away from other people and other kids. Like, you know, it kind of kept me entertained. 
Um, you know, and I was either getting hurt, getting dirty outside, like being a total, just like ridiculous tomboy kid or drawing, you know, and it's, that was always something that it wasn't like an escape. It was just like a way of creating, I guess, just like different worlds. And I loved that as a kid. Um, and you know, I kept drawing, like it was always something that I, that I was doing and in high school. I really wanted to be like a marine biologist or a doctor or something. Um, and my high school art teacher was like, you should apply to an art school. Like you, you're really good at this. You know, have you ever thought of that? And I, I had never even considered going to an art school or that it would be something, um, that was even viable. Yeah. Did you even know that an art school was a thing at that time? No, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. no. Like, why on earth would people go to a school to to learn art? Like, yeah. it just I I didn't even it wasn't even part of my my reality at that time. You know, my mom was a nurse for you know forty years, and she taught anatomy and physiology. And I was like, well, I'm probably going to do something like that. Like, I, that's my I'm around that. You know, makes sense. Um, I never thought, oh, I could be a graphic designer or an artist or, you know, whatever. But yeah, so I, um, my mom passed away and I had to move, um, back down to, uh, California and all of my other family is here. Um, and so I moved down here and I finished up my last year of high school here, um, and applied to CCA, which is up in Oakland. It's a California College of the Arts, and it's a pretty, pretty great school. But I just, you know, it wasn't something that was like working for me. Like I just, I wasn't feeling it. And I got kind of hired out of school to do something that I was going to school for. So at like 19, I started working for um, that comic book character Emily the Strange oh yeah uh-huh yeah um and so it's like I was fully immersed in the reality that art could pay the bills and be enjoyable and you know be something that was more than just like drawing you know in my notebook or something like that and um I did that for like six years and then you know while I was doing that I was still focusing on my own art um, and so that kind of, you know, I realized that it was time to move on, um, yeah. from the kind of Emily, the strange world. And then I just started focusing on my own art. Um, and that, yeah. that seems to be like the, uh, a lot of times the sort of method, you know, like a, a sort of, a, a, a like a, a job or an internship of something that shows you, Oh, look, okay we could turn the things that we make into enough money to pay the bills and eat some food and enjoy what you do. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's like, I don't know, to be able to, to do that and support yourself. It was never anything that I ever thought was possible, you know? Yeah. And that's sort of what it takes, like those mentors or it's even like, it's almost like somebody opens up a little portal for you that you didn't know existed. Yeah. And it's, what was cool is, you know, I also got to, you know, meet a lot of people in, in the art world, um, at a young age and kind of like learn a lot from them. You know, it's like 
working at Emily, like I got to know Winston Smith, the um, guy who did all the Dead Kennedy covers. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's a freaking awesome guy. But he he had a big hand in just kind of you know helping me figure out some things in terms of you know more of the fine art world and galleries and like you know just the whole experience. Yeah, it was totally like I had all these like mentors, mentors, you know. Uh-huh. And how old were you at that time? I was 19. Yeah, see. I mean, I, I feel like I had a similar type experience. And, you know, I I worked for Shepherd Ferry, and I used to get all sorts of Emily Strange stickers in the mail. Because I used <laughs> oh, to have man. to just, like, grab all, like, the random stuff that came in. And it yeah. would just kind of, like, go into a box. And, I like, I would put stuff into, like, like packs of Obey stickers that I was shipping out to fucking people all over the place. So, like, yeah. anytime people would send in, like, their street stuff or whatever, I would just, like, throw it in there. So, But same thing. It's like I had no fucking idea. It was like I've yeah. drawn and made shit and just put it in my closet. And, like, every time I make something, I show my mom. And I'm like, hey, look at mom. I did this. And she's like, yeah, that's great. And my sister's like, yeah, hi, high five, whatever. But <laughs> And then you're like, oh, like, you have your first show or you have, like, uh, an indication where you see other people doing the things that you're doing. Um, and, and it's always, I feel like as, as I get older now too, it's important to share that with younger artists if possible. And that's sort of like part of this show is that like just letting young artists know, like, here's what people are doing. You know, you could do it too. Is you got the sirens going off? Oh yeah. So that's a car alarm. It's okay. if I just keep talking and blabbing and blabbing, which people hate when I do on the podcast, then it kind of like it goes away for a moment. But we might not want to do that. It's funny. I've, I've well, now it stopped. But it's I've lived here long enough that I should be used to it. But it's like it literally like I'm just like my cat. Like I'll just like I'll stare at the window and just wait for it to stop. Yeah. You know, and I'll, just, I'll fixate on it like, oh, my God, please just stop. I don't know. It's crazy, like, going camping or, you know, just taking a trip and not hearing anything, you know? Yeah, I like, I think maybe that might be a good segue for your work. I feel like your your work exists on in a sort of naturalist world somehow, you know? There's a um, – and, you know, like, it's, it's sort of cliche now, but there's this idea that we as humans have sort of removed ourselves from our previous natural selves. Um, of yeah. course, that comes with a whole shitload of benefits. Um, but, you know, we're quick to look at the negatives because I think it's what we're missing from those moments. Um, yeah. Do you find that you're implanting that into your work, uh, like those missing moments? Or are you, you know, are you fantasizing about having more of those moments? Because especially sitting in a studio all day it's, and drawing for hours on end, there's not much time to go hang out with the trees and the plants. No, there's not. There's totally not. Um, fortunately, I live in this, like, at the end of this weird creek, um, which is kind of, I've got, like, auto row on this side and then, like, nature. Um, but, yeah, like, most of my, my work is just kind of going back to the forest and that, like, idea of just disconnecting and going into this world that, like, you don't have anything you know, it's just humans, animals, and, you know, flora and fauna. Like, it's it's that connection that I, 
I feel like I don't really have anymore. You know, it's like where I grew up is like a complete 360 from like where I live now, you know? Um, And you feel it, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I totally feel it, you know, but it's, it's interesting that like I crave it, I guess. And so it's like the worlds that I make, I, I mean, it's kind of just, I guess, to create that thing that I'm missing, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like that's something, and maybe not a lot of artists admit to that. Like a lot of what we make, I feel like is what we're actually kind of missing in life. Yeah. And like, so somebody just told me recently that I make bro worship art because I paint a lot of portraits of men with beards and like, and I think, due to the fact that I grew up with mostly women around me, like my grandmother, my mother, my sister, I was more raised by, you know, by the females in my life, tons of aunts. I, my, my mom's family was one, eight kids, one boy, all girls. So I feel like maybe come in, you know, my parents divorced at a young age. So there's a chance that like that sort that sort of masculine figure in my life was missing. So maybe that is it. And I've sort of tried to like, psychoanalyze this before and yeah you know uh, and of course a story that's way different than being told i make bro worship art but that's a that's a separate story <laughs> no it's i mean there is always a reason i think why we create like i don't think there's a single artist that just sits down and puts something on paper for no reason yeah. you know and that's when you uh, when you mentioned that your mother was a nurse. I also grew up in a nursing family, so I was curious. And you know, there's a a, the, a very um, direct conversation with life and death. And you mentioned that your mother passed away when you were pretty young. Um, yeah, I'm curious if some of those like, did you grow up in an environment where life and death? You know, I feel like in nursing, there's a little bit. It's more like talked about. It's not so hush hush. Like if somebody's talking about a disease, they're talking about the medicines all the different like body parts like there's a, a a different like from a regular civilian there's a difference between that connection of life and death for sure and it's like growing up not only was death something that and like disease and you know that wasn't something that i feared or i didn't understand because of you know her approach to just being really open and honest and it's like i used to pore over her like medical illustration books cuz i thought they were interesting you know but i also grew up on a ranch so you know we killed our food and i you know it's like i'm vegan now i've been vegan for 14 years because at like age 12 age 13 i killed a cow and I skinned it and I did everything that, you know, we had like a, it was almost like an ice cream truck butcher who would like come and he'd shoot the cow for you or, you know, he would at least string it up um, on the back of this like crane on this truck and him and his daughters who were just these like, what I at the time thought were like badass ranch girls that I kind of idolized, <laughs> um, you know, they were just taking care of business. I mean, they were, you know, stripping the skin. They were, you know, washing out the carcass. Like, and I was like, well, I, I want to learn how to do that. You know, I raised these animals. Like I should learn how to do it. And the day that like, I can remember it, like it happened like yesterday, 
the day that I killed um, a cow that I raised and like, you know, cleaned out its carcass, just like did everything that those girls did. I was like, I can't do this. Why the fuck am I going to eat you? Like if I, if I can't do this and I'm like, it's not worth it to me. Like literally from that day, I was like, I was vegan without knowing what vegan was. Like I was just like, no more anything. Like, and of course, like my mom, like I probably just put her through the ringer. She like was an awesome cook and she'd always like watch Julia Child and like make amazing food. And like at that point she was just so fucking confused. Like, well, what do I, what do I make for you? You know, but being around that and like being around dying animals and like, you know, even seeing like a coyote just like dead in our field with like fungus growing out of it. Like those moments were huge with like the art and the work that I create, you know, like those won't ever leave me. And it's like, I guess seeing like life and death always so close is something that I try and like put into my work. You know, there's always something dying or there's always something coming out of, you know, something that's, that's dead, you know, but I don't know. The relationship of life and death. And also, again, that's sort of that's the disconnect from nature, how far removed we are from our food process. And, you know, I make a I always make a concerted effort to say that um, food production in the country at at some point was about feeding the multitudes of people, like making people not go hungry, not starve. And to on some level that there's some altruism to that. Although, of course, greed comes right into the business factor of all these things. But, you know, like for me, I, you know, my wife has been vegetarian since she was 14 or 15 and just recently went vegan this last year. And I, I, can, I can attest to the difficulties of like making two dinners, like the, <laughs> the fact that uh, two dishes need to be made. And now, you know, I love doing it for her. like it, it gives, brings me joy to do it, but it, to pretend that it's not a pain in my ass. And I let her know sometimes like right now you're a pain in my ass, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the disconnect of like taking the life of your own animal. And you know, that's sometimes I like, I'll, I can both respect hunters and kind of disrespect them on two different levels. Like this idea, like, wow, life is so fucking precious. Like it's such a short period of time and we're so lucky to have it that you're taking it from something. Like, I don't even want to kill the fucking ants that swarmed over the last like two months, but eventually I turn into the monster that I am and, and kill them. But I have no, I have no mercy with ants. So I I can totally that's I'll back you on that one. <laughs> I do my best. I do my best to like I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for a little while. No. <laughs> so I'm curious also, and I'm sure like it's a question that's been beat into your head a bunch of times. Like I'm curious why you make the choice to stick with the pencil medium, which um, I see. I can obviously see the benefits. Um, I can also see the like taxing effect that it would have on a wrist and body and elbow and shoulder and neck and back <laughs> um where maybe painting could be a little easier in that realm um of course you you're it's obvious that the amount of time you focused has allowed you to become like really good at what you do and i think that alone allows your 
I think that allows your work to stand on its own, regardless of medium. Um, but I'm curious if there it was some sort of uh, uh, conscious decision, or maybe not, just like by chance. So yeah, I I did paintings and I used minimal color. You know, I I like. I like kind of more subdued realities, but I did make the conscious decision to kind of just go black and white because I feel like it's almost like watching like the twilight zone or watching like a a black and white film. Like you have to decide for yourself, like, you know, that woman's dress is red or, you know, you have to have that mental picture that, you know, the trees that are in that scene, they're green and lush. And I like that way of like forcing the viewer's perception, like forcing them to try and like fabricate those things. Yeah. They have to find the color. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I, I've just continued on with that. And it's like, I, I love pencil. Like it would totally be easier to just be able to paint. Like that, like I have, I have friends that just like, oh, how long did that take you? Oh, like like a week, and it's like, wow, that's that's beautiful. Wow, I wish that I could work really fast because you know it's. I mean, yeah, it's totally taxing, but I love it. Like, I love the really unforgiving quality of graphite on paper. Like, I don't use an eraser, and so it's like a challenge. You do know? you do you give yourself a lot of those types of rules, like parameters in which you feel like you have to set or set a guideline of what you have to work within? Pretty yeah, like rules like not using erasers. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I mean I do it because like if you erase something, you still see it, you know. So it's like any mistake that I make, like I try and just work it into a piece, you know, like. There's that weird, it's like I spend so long working on a piece that it becomes almost like meditative in a way. So it's like if I accidentally, like if my hand seizes up and I drop my pencil and, you know, the pencil like dings an area, there's probably going to be a moth there now (laughs) or like, (laughs) it's like going to work something into that because I don't know, I just, I feel like that's part of the whole creation of my piece you know, it's like those mistakes I don't want to erase, you uh-huh. know? Do you feel it's almost like there's an honesty? Because I'll tell you what, I've I've seen people who um, use, like, color pencils and things and yeah. also with paint and then call something just a painting. And I think, like, in my critical mind, which I try to, like, shut off as much as I possibly can, but I'm like, oh, you're cheating a little bit. A little bit cheating. Yeah. Right? <laughs> But I don't think I see, like, I don't think that you, like, your work isn't trying to be something that it's not. And not that, not that the other example was, but just, like, in terms of, you're not trying, I think a lot of art is trying to trick the eye. Is it, like, yeah. trying to trick the viewer sometimes? And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I don't catch that from you. I just, I kind of like the purity of the medium, you know? It's, like, to be able to create a piece and, like, have to experiment with different ways of making it work for, you know, creating, like, a super soft tone or making something look, you know, ethereal or something. Like, you know, it's taken a while to figure these tricks out, but it's, like, utilizing just one medium is really, you know, graphite in particular is just 
I don't know, it just works for what I'm trying to convey also like with, with the work itself, you know, and with some of the themes. And that's um, sort of, I, that's the test sometimes, like trying to actually the hunt to find the thing that works for you. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I, I enjoy color. Like I, I like painting, but I, this for what I'm doing and like the stories that I'm trying to like develop, it just, it fits, you know? Yeah. It, do you look, it, there's a, I guess there's a certain level of creepiness that sort of lends itself to the black and gray. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a lot of the figures that you draw have like super pale blue eyes, like the palest blue eyes. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I'd i like to make fun of, of pale blue eyed people that saying that. <laughs> They're uh, they're the ones that are r- the real psychos. Like if you look at anybody <laughs> who's fucking crazy, they have just that like that small pupil, pale blue eyes. And of course, I'm just totally generalizing. <laughs> but I, I say I don't trust blue eyed people. And my wife is red hair, blue eyes, so like I give her shit all the time too. And it's totally in jest, but there's some there's something to it. See, but I like that, like the fact that you even assign any eye color. Like that's. That's why I like making black and white work. And it's funny because, like, out of any question that I ever get asked, everyone's like, do you ever work with color? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's sort of, like, my angle, I think, is just to see what it is that exists on the opposite end of that. Because you could easily, like, you could easily add some watercolor to any of your drawings and have it be, like, sure. a perfectly blended, like, colorful piece. Like Yeah. But then it would it seemed like it'd be you would be adding on to what you already do, like maybe in like without necessity, yeah, almost just kind of like this arbitrary add on is what I would feel like yeah you overdone. Know, I, yeah, yeah, um, I guess like for me, I don't feel that these worlds that I create require like me to put color into them, you know, yeah, I don't know. did you read the um the Beatrice Potter books? When you were I did. Yeah, I did. I get a sense of that a little bit too. Like, um, and you know, like I, I, I'm also really fascinated by like, uh, like Eastern European folklore, and I, I sort of get a sense of some of that stuff coming in there too. Like, there's narratives that, you know, even without like knowing all of the stories, like there's little things that are commonalities amongst folklore and mythologies. That you seem yeah. to be kind of pursuing as well. Maybe, maybe without uh, maybe without telling people, they maybe they wouldn't know. Maybe it's it's subtle. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. That's our earliest form of communication. Was like passing down stories and passing down, you know, legends like you know, mythical creatures and you know even biblical stories. Like it's been something that's fascinated me since I was a kid. You know. Um, especially like scary Russian or Slavic stories of like witches in the woods and just like, I, I don't know, the, the mythology and just like allegory in general, like, you know, it's important, you know, and I feel that we still do that with artwork, you know, like we are, we are passing on stories or, you know, ideas and I don't know, I love that. Do you think some of that symbolism is getting lost or like our connection with nature? Because I know as soon as I started becoming familiar with sort of esoteric symbolism or like, uh, you know, pre-biblical stories. um, And again, these different mythos 
um, I began to be able to see the symbols still in nature, not in nature, but in our, you know, in our business logos, in like in our society. However, very few people uh, either take the time to get to know something because they're busy with whatever the fuck they got to do. Um, but a lot of these symbols yeah. and ideas still persist, but maybe a little bit, again, a little bit undercover, maybe? Yeah, undercover. I think, you know, a lot of it is like we have so many other things in society that we just give all of our time to and all of our, you know, our attention to. Like, I don't know, we create these weird worlds for ourselves that I think sometimes lose, like, you know, importance just in terms of like, the ability to perceive something, you know, or look deeper into something, you know, and I think that is kind of that ultimate reason for lore and, you know, mythos and allegory is that you have to read into it to get that message. You know, there's always kind of like an underlying story or an underlying, uh, I guess, teaching. Yeah. Or something to take out of it. There's a secret in there somewhere that's protected by all that stuff. Exactly. You know, and it's like, I wonder what we'll be like as a civilization if we're still around in like a hundred years, you know, like what, what will we look to, to learn from? Is it just going to be like some massive like website that like, that's all of our information. And yeah. We we go to that. It's like, I don't know. It's just going to be, could... you go to the internet. It's you type in the internet and it's just one website. <laughs> yeah. It's, I yeah, totally. That sounds horrible. obviously. I'm like, oh yeah, dystopian future for for real. <laughs> yeah, but it, but I mean, like you when you see that you know, um, a lot of people kind of glaze over with certain things. You know, you start to wonder, like, well, how are, how are you going to learn like not to sleep in a cave or <laughs> you, know, like, you know stuff that like I mean what you would say is like common knowledge sometimes, like you still have to be taught that as a human being, you know, like at some point you're taught something. And I think sometimes maybe, you know, in terms of like the people a hundred years from now, 200 years from now, like maybe all technology takes a shit. Like we have some massive solar blast and it just kills all technology somehow, which. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. You'll be making podcasts with, like, tin cans. <laughs> yeah, everyone just connected by string. <laughs> um, but I like, I, you know, I, I often romanticize this idea that it is an artist role, sort of, to um, record what may be a, not a direct history, but, like, an indication of history, you know, like, an indication. And, you know, things can always be misinterpreted, obviously. Yeah. Um, but even in... Um, slight symbolism or like these things that are reminiscent of who we were hundreds of years before. Um, It's, I think it's important now. Historians obviously play a much broader role in writing books and, but like this idea, like, okay, what if all this information disappears? Um, The digital form, we've gotten less and less away from books and libraries and written stored information due to the nature of it. Um, what are people going to look to like to, and yeah. we see it now like the, and I, that's, that'll be the big question, right? Like we can look to, uh, the Renaissance period to try to figure out what people are like in a certain time frame. 
although it may yeah. be completely misjudged and misrepresented, uh, misrepresented um, we still have that opportunity. Yeah. But that might be too – I don't know if that's too much of a burden to put on. Is that a burden to put on people, you think? I don't think it's a burden. I think – I mean, there should be something, you know? Like, there should be – like, there should be something in a piece of art that at least, like, passes something on to the viewer, you know? And that's just that's just me. Like, I, you know, I love art, obviously. Like, not my own, like – other people's works like and I what always pulls me is like those those things that just kind of make you think about like a story or you know something in history or like an emotion like if 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 that's not kind of like in in a piece of art or I don't know it's not a burden I don't think I I I mean I like the idea of like telling artists like hey you have this responsibility that you need to like <laughs> let the people know you know like, go forth and teach <laughs> yeah and that's sort of a little bit pretentious too like of course that there's always that like oh it's so important when like i and you know i'm not one to necessarily say there's anything wrong with making just something decorative you know like some i had uh there i did a live painting show recently and uh uh she's probably 13 came up very shy like kind of introverted and she was like why did you do that one right there and i gave like the long list of why i did the thing and then i was like but you know what like i just Mm -hmm. wanted to try to like make something that looked kind of cool like so that i felt good about it and she connected more with me saying that which is like great you know like that that's okay too like you can sit down and enjoy yourself and just make something that you think looks cool as well no, that's that's totally yeah. But I think as a viewer, no, a viewer connects on a different way. Because I also had another kid come up and be like, oh, "I wanted to cry," which is something. Yeah, that- see, I, I think it's personal sometimes. Like even if someone loads something with allegory and symbolism, like I all like it can be a freaking banana rotting with the fly on it, and I'll like I'll like, think of some deep meaning and like what it. You know, like something harkens back to like some story I, I heard or whatever. Like it's personal. Like someone else could be like, "Wow, it's a banana." You know, like and sometimes it's intuitive. Sometimes there isn't even words. You know, like I look at work yeah. and it's like there. Like my brain actually gets to just shut off and enjoy the visual stimuli. Yeah, but whether that's you know intellectual or not, it, it feel and it feels like a more in tune sort of moment than. Not, you know, not that either one has more importance, like looking at something intellectually or just enjoying the pretty picture. Yeah. Or the ugly picture. Like, I just the fact that, like, somebody could make some, like, marks on a board that, like, are not representative of anything and that I can get yeah. that same visual pleasure from it, I feel like is just as valuable. Yeah, I, I completely agree. But what's weird is is that art's just it's strange like it's awesome because it's it's always just up to the viewer you know unless they're told you know it's like there's this weird just I guess personal thing about it you know it can just like you said it can be like well I'm gonna stare at this and just enjoy like what I'm looking at there's I'm not affixing like any deep meaning to it you know or It's the complete opposite. Like the, but like the fact that it can be so personal for every like person is just 
know. It's yeah, that there, magic, magic moment. There's a big, I feel like there's a big difference between that. Just like being able to sit and daydream for a moment and then have somebody come up and be like, this reminded me of when I was a 13 year old in this place and that place. And like have it be a completely personal story for somebody that has nothing to do with whatever it is that you had made beforehand. It just connected on some like, there's like a magnetic sort of connection sometimes some sort of energetic level sounds yeah. like hippy dippy <laughs> back to the Birkenstocks I know right I see look at that's that's the move Full all circle. the way back around to the Birkenstocks and the flow hose <laughs> and the the mispronunciations um, I'm curious so I had a, a recent conversation um, with some people about uh, the difficulties for women in the arts and I make a concerted effort to try to get as many different types of stories on the show from as many different types of people as possible. But the truth is, is that I overwhelmingly put white males uh, on the podcast. And the argument boils down to it's like I'm not specifically trying to keep certain groups from being on the show. Um, there's a, a group of people who I'm obviously interacting with on a regular basis that mostly looks like me. Um, and I, I'm not trying, I have no need to hide that at all. Like I've been to pretend that that's not a real part of this. Um, my, uh, I'm curious for you, if you found, um, difficulties being a woman in this particular field, because if you look at what my percentages are for white males on the show, it's, it's the same as what's happening in galleries. It's the same what's happening in museums. And yeah. I could see the frustration and anger from a lot of people who feel like they're misrepresented in these communities. My assertion happens to be that there are far, far less women and maybe minorities um, taking part in the community. And that has a whole separate uh, list of issues, whether it be like just the inability uh, to be given a pathway like that some people could be given um, a particular upbringing that again, like you and I were talking about, like we had something that showed us that art is capable. There's a slew of people in society due to economic reasons, due to social reasons, due to oppression over the last hundred years that all plays a role. Um, yeah. But what I've been wanting to find out is like people, more personal experiences from people like, what the struggle was for somebody who who isn't like me or or what you know whether there you found um an easier path whether you found like racism sexism um you know what what angles are things that are happening for people that i don't get a chance that aren't a part of my particular perception in reality yeah so i know that's like a whole like shitload of stuff to just pile on um, but I feel like maybe you would be good at sort of, I feel like you're a successful woman, um, in this, in this field that's like difficult for anybody to succeed in, you know, and not to, and of course there's struggles. So, um, has you, have you found your experience to be difficult, like more difficult than maybe some of your friends or some of your contemporaries? You know, I've, I've found that sometimes it seems like for female artists, you know, myself included that, you know, if it's a male audience that's looking at your art, sometimes they're not fully looking at your art, you know, like yeah. there's a lot, once you're a female artist, they look at you, 
you know. Sexuality um, definitely plays a role, right? Oh, for sure. I actually had a, I went down um, to LA last weekend um, to go see my friends opening at ThinkSpace. And um, one of my girlfriends, she was like, just out of the blue was like, you know, is it kind of weird for you the way that like men look at you when you're in a gallery? And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, and she was like, you know, well, like, you know, they just like look at you like, you know, you're whatever, like it's, it's crazy. And it's like, I told her, I was like, I don't pay attention to that shit. You know, like I've, I think always kind of had that switch turned off. Like I, I am a woman. I know that, you know, some people might find me attractive, but that has nothing to do with why I create and how I create, you know, but I, I mean, I do pick up on the fact that, you know, women and female artists, like it seems like sometimes it's more about us and ourselves and what we look like than the art that we create. Well, do you feel like that's a, there's a part of success that comes from for female artists that comes and you know I'll, I'll put this argument out there that even amongst male artists that attractiveness versus a lack of attractiveness uh, yeah actually changes sales and gallery perception and so that's what you know the conversation with my girlfriend at, at that gallery of I mean that's what that kind of tailed into was you know do you use that to your benefit you know like she asked me that and yeah. I was You know, I was like, you know, I think that I would be an idiot if I wasn't aware that that does also play a part in my success, you know, because we are, we're a very visual, visual, oh, sorry, I'm getting weird feedback. Yeah, we glitched out for a second. I think we're back though. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, uh, as like a female artist, like I'm, I'm not silly. I I know that that plays a part, but I think that as a female artist, you can either just accept that and keep making good art, or you can utilize that to your benefit. If that's like what you want to do, it's, it's weird because I feel like men don't really, male artists don't really have to ask themselves that question or like, go like, well, how am I going to handle that? You know? Yeah. Like I, I don't feel like I don't know. This is a personal perception, but I feel like a man can look however the hell he wants. You know, if he's attractive, that that's fine. That helps, but no one really cares. You know? Yeah. Like not a, definitely not anywhere near the same. Place, no. No. The same level at all, and that's no. something that I've been thinking about a lot. Like even like so, I made this point the other day that I like to make ugly art to counterbalance, like. Like people who are making portraits of pretty women all the time. Like I love a portrait of a pretty woman as much as anybody else. Yep. Yeah. But sometimes it's like the question. It's like, okay, what is, like, what is the point of continuing? To, like, is it like, are we focused so much on the ideas of beauty that? And you know, I, it's not like it's anything new. No, it's not. But it's I, not at all. I wonder. You know, you mentioned growing up, you felt like you were more of a tomboy. Do you feel like that sort of sets you aside a little bit to shut off some of the... Because from my experience, girls who are tomboys tend to um, maybe not recognize the the male sexual approaches as maybe the reality of what they are. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, from an early age, I, I realized what some of those approaches mean, you know, and sometimes the heavier weight of what, you know, someone's comment could be, you know, and it disgusted me. Like, you know, and that's sort this is the angle I was thinking. Like, as I, I knew I wanted to talk to you about this. Yeah. And my thinking is like, uh, like these like sexist male chauvinist gallery owners just don't want women in their gallery. But as I think about that, that idea seems pretty ludicrous to me. And it's more so like maybe women aren't as respected as much for their craft because there's this other component. And you're right. Like, I don't ever have to worry about even though it's I'll bring up an example that's that sort of contradicts that contradicts me. But like if a female gallery owner, I, I usually don't have to worry about her trying to fuck me. Like, I don't yeah. ever think, oh, she wants <laughs> to fuck me. And then, like, have to think yeah. about, like, the weird interaction that comes from that. Yeah. So that's something, we, again, that we don't have to face. And I'm curious. I'm sure that that plays a large effect in what I was bringing up before this, like, I bet it's easier to be like, uh, I probably won't like submit my work to that gallery because like, I don't want to face that uncomfortableness or like, you know, it's, it's hard enough to just be a fucking artist and like put yourself out there, but then to also kind of open yourself up for that is something, you know, I don't face maybe, maybe it happens more than I, you know, I think everybody wants to fuck me, but. (laughs) <laughs> even all the male, uh, mostly the male gallery owners actually i'm i'm sure i'm sure it's it's kind of messed up though because you know i any advance from men like i it's just it's personal like i shut it down like i there are a lot of people that use those things to their benefit or use those you know someone's um I guess, desire for the female artist to their benefit. You know, I've, yeah. I'm not, I've, I've heard stories, you know, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm an artist first and foremost, you know, the, my, my gender has nothing to do with it, you know? And it's, yeah, yeah there's been a few gallery people that it's kind of like, I don't really want to do business with you. You know, you can kind of tell when someone respects the work that you're doing and sometimes when, you know, it's more of, you know, well, you're a pretty face, you know, it's like, I think that even in my art, like, you know, my women aren't, there's no sexy gaze, you know, it's, there's a lack of sexualization because there's even some androgyny, it seems like some sort of like, yeah, uh... yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. Like uh, there's an article that I read, um, a couple years ago that was just kind of one of those aha moments. There was, and like, they're still trying to like capture the validity of this, um, and really get the full story. But there is a group called the Asgarda and it's in the Ukraine and it's a group of females who were victims of sexual trafficking and just gender oppression as a whole they formed a tribe and literally moved to the forest. And so they live in the Carpathian mountains. There's like 150 of them from all ages. 
they study martial arts, science, yeah. literature. Like I like that for me is just kind of like one of those, you know, fuck yeah. You know, like because we live in a world that I mean everything's so fucking sexualized that it it's like I don't know, that like I get it, like sex is awesome. The hum- the human body is awesome. Yeah. We're all hot in our own way. Um <laughs> But to to have it such like an overwhelming thing in movies in culture, it's just it cheap it cheapens it to me, you yeah. know. And it's like to have to deal with that while you're just trying to share your work and share your art, you know. It's it's this weird unnecessary thing, you know. It's not like I I don't feel personally that male gallery owners or any male in the art scene is specifically saying, no, that woman can't show here. Like, I don't feel like there's, I don't feel like that's something that's like a a secret rule. I feel like it's something that, you know, shit, women couldn't vote. You know, it's (laughs) like, it's not something that's new. So it's not something that I feel, you know, always is a conscious effort to not allow women. It's, you know, it's not like they created a boys club. I think that it's just, it, it's that instinctual. It's that, you know, it harkens back to, like you said, it's like, it's that primal thing, you know? And even, I I like to bring up the idea, like if I'm listening to music, like if I'm, um, if I'm chopping up the different singers and albums that I have, I guarantee you there's going to be far more males that I relate to in their art. Um, and that's going to give me a different connection. And I assume that sometimes it's the same thing with women. You know, I mean, and that's not to say that there isn't a, a multitude. Of, there's so many amazing female artists. But I might not connect to them, like, even though I've been listening to Nina Simone, like, every day for, like, six <laughs> months. Uh, but, like, there's things that it's, like, uh, there's a voice that I know is good, that is yeah. quality music, but somehow I don't connect to it. I wonder if the same thing but, happens in the power structure. I, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. I don't think it's, like, it's, like, you're not not listening to, you know, those female artists because you're making a conscious decision not to, you know, it just, it doesn't speak to you the way that maybe, um, I don't know. I'm trying to, Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. I could just see the, (laughs) I could see the (laughs) condescension building. Can you you see the the tension and the shit it and grin as I like think of the, okay. So when, when you put on Limp Biscuit. Like you oh, can act you're going to hit me with a limp biscuit. <laughs> Listen, I've been listening to Don Landis for like all morning. <laughs> like the the most like emotional folk music that you could actually listen to. But I, again, misrepresentations, you know, yep. it's really easy. But, but on that note, though, like I, I can't say as a female artist that I feel that it's a conscious decision. No, I get what you're saying. Right? You know? Yeah. Like it's built in now. But but I. Yeah, but I do feel that, you know, it does have the ability over time to change. You know, I think that there are a lot of female artists that that do want their voice to be heard a little bit more, you know, and do want to be represented. um, And I know just as an artist, right? Like you said, like you're just an artist. Yeah, 
Well, and it's, you know, I have a piece um, coming up at, or I have a piece in a show coming up at Fecal Face. It's um, opens, I think, next Friday. Yeah, but the out. whole show, it's an, it's an all-female show. And normally I don't like to say yes to those shows because I feel like by doing that, you create kind of this, like, girls' club, which is what, you know, it's just like you it's have a girls' club, opposite. we have a boys' club. Like, yeah, it's, to me, like, that, it, it's conflicting you know, you're, you're trying to say like, well, we deserve to be equal, but you're not allowed in the show. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't usually sign up for them, but it's like, there's obviously Rachel, a different intention, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like the, the background of this show, like the intention, uh, was kind of also just, um, to bring kind of statistics into the realm. Like the, the show itself is called the four percenter or the, what is it? Yeah, the four percenters. Which is and exactly what I'm talking about here. Like Exactly, exactly. And like literally they a group of female artists in the late 80s, like they went to the Met and they conducted what they called a weenie count. And what that entailed was, you know, looking at how many nudes were in a gallery. Uh, yeah. There was like 85% nudes displayed in the museum that were women and only five percent of the artists in the whole museum were artists or were female artists yeah and and it was just looking at those at those things and i mean when you look at the numbers it's you can't not say it's not messed up yeah but it's one of those things where it's like okay well why did that happen you know and it's like trying to determine those whys like i don't think anyone can really say like well this is why yeah you can't it's so broad no i literally feel like it's just how it's been you know i think it's changing but i don't think that you know apart from you know female painters and female doctors like you know 16th century 17th century like it there wasn't no one wanted to teach you how to paint. No one wanted you practicing medicine. Like, you know, so, but we've, we've moved on, but I think that we're still in that kind of, that world that is more heavily men, you know, in terms of artists. It's almost like a hangover from that period. Like the, the hundred years previous, 200 years previous, like. It totally is because like, you know, we all know that it's a little messed up to have such a, a, a huge separation between, you know, or a huge gap with female artists versus, you know, male artists. And we all, we all are aware of that, but we're like, well, why, you know, and why isn't it changing if we, if we can see this, you know, it is totally like a hangover, you know, but. And I, I like to, I like to see, you know, like I could think of a handful of, uh, strong, powerful female gallerists who, uh, you know, and I, you know, it's funny, like, you know, how I was talking about like what our, uh, responsibility is as an artist like I wonder is it the women gallerist responsibility now to start to show more female artists where maybe the men who are more uh, related to the other male artists who are more like them and dealing with the same type of like reality issues as them that they're more likely yeah. to put that stuff on the wall space and not and not in that that they hate women and are like no women are going to, the boys club are going to show. 
Um, yeah. But more so that women just aren't given full opportunity, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, and I, th- I think there are some, you know, female gallerists who are doing a great job with that. You know, like uh, Jan at Corey Hilford Gallery. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the roster, it's a lot of women. Yeah. You know, it's also a lot of men. It's 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 obvious that she's not just trying to make an all female gallery, but you know, it's a lot more female artists than you'd see at galleries. You know, in in the same kind of gallery rank. Yeah. You know, and even I would um, say a place like Giant Robot, even it, you know, yeah. although it's ran yeah. by a man, it, you know, a lot of uh, Japanese artists, both men and women, get an opportunity to show where maybe that space wasn't available to them 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's the positive. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's one thing. Like, I don't think that it's a negative thing. I think it's just how it is right now, you know, and it's how it's been for a while. But I do think that there are enough female artists that it's, it's changing, you know? I feel like over the last 20 years, the amount of, illustrators, designers, painters, um, installation, muralist, uh, like really strong female artists are, I feel like it's, they're becoming more, uh, they're changing the, the percentages in the pond, maybe the wall space outside, you know, like the, like blue chip museum spaces aren't as available now, but it's a generational thing this this yep. art game and it's only a matter of time before the new ranks start to fill up into those spaces i think well and it's like you know i feel that it's totally important that everyone gets you know equal showing rights you know but i wouldn't want to see a gallery that only shows women like, or if they're all bad I, artists I would, like you don't want yeah. to just show bad art no no, exactly, and it's you know, but I I think that there's there's so many different variables of you know having that change without just making it a girls' club. You know, it's like I think that just the integration of more women into galleries and the the more integration that you see, even just features and articles, you know, on like juxtapose or stuff like that, like you know, it's happening. Yeah, it's it's you know, maybe just, I, I if sem- if us men could just get a little less creepy. Yeah, work just on like that. a few percentages down. I tried this episode. I tried to keep the creepiness <laughs> just, all just, the way. Just tone the creep down. I mean, I tone brought up flowhose and I didn't say your name <laughs> fucking right. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really hard on myself about the name. That's <laughs> okay. All right, all right. I, I think I think we did pretty good. We got a good hour fifteen in there. Awesome. So you mentioned your show coming up here next weekend at Fecal Face. I'll have this show up before before the show and uh you got anything else coming up and we could plug your instagrams and stuff too oh yeah i've i kind of overbooked myself this this past month with um group shows i've got um a piece coming up in last rights gallery their uh 13th hour show that's october 10th um a couple or a piece in uh modern eden show opening up the same night um yeah, a lot of a lot of group shows. There's coming up in December. I, do you follow Paint Guide? Yes, I on do. Instagram. Yeah. So everyone who has every artist who's 
been on Paint Guide and he's gotten to share artists and paintings and pieces that they enjoy, um, we all now have the opportunity to create a piece and show it together. Cool. And so I think it's like 50 artists. And so that's in December um, over at the Unit Gallery in London. But it's just staying busy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Wonderful. Um, what about if they want to go see your stuff on Instagram? Where can they find you or your website? Uh, you can find um, my website at nicomynixturner.com. I almost said Taylor. That's so rad. Thanks. I wish you would have. If you... <laughs> it's funny. I had... That almost happened. I had a, there's a local artist, um, Jacqueline Rose, who was on the show and, um, Uh her, her Instagram name looks like Rach Moans, but it's Rack Monet, the, the French word. Okay. And, um, she has friends of hers that she hadn't seen in a long time call her Rachel because they've only seen her Instagram and they just like connected a name to people call me Max. They look at my name and call me Max. Wow. But it's all, it's all us just being weird humans. Like getting fumbled I, in our I, brain yeah our, our brains aren't computing um but yeah so uh um and on instagram it's underscore fernbeds underscore and you're on the periscopes doing awesome live drawing all the time too yeah i'm on the periscopes um that's just fernbeds yeah. if you if you guys want to watch me draw live <laughs> all right let's do internet dap and we'll call it a thing Awesome. Boom. <laughs> I, uh, I want to thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. It was uh, lovely to get to know you a little bit more. And uh, hopefully we'll get some time to hang out. And uh, maybe I'll draw with you sometime. Or you can watch oh, me yeah. draw on the Periscopes if you want to. I actually only, watch you. <laughs> I only smoke weed on Periscope. That's all I do. <laughs> you and like half of America. Like, Have you ever, have you ever tapped the globe I and have. just like randomly watch people? Yeah. Everyone's either getting high drunk in their kitchen (laughs) or doing something really cool like that you're like why is this on periscope like someone told me that they watched a tibetan ghost ceremony like a ghost dance ceremony and i'm like how did you see that like we're not supposed to see that that's insane yeah it's such a Um, weird world all i've seen is just like teenagers like staring at their phone or people who are smoking weed (laughs) yeah well i like to i'll smoke weed for the first half and then pretend like i'm waxing philosophical for the next 10 minutes which is really just me <laughs> mumbling <laughs> and then it's done i'll live paint but it's i same thing like i'm like i'm too distracted i'm making mistakes throw my brush just across the painting yeah all right well thank you again <laughs> i uh i look forward to seeing what you do in the future and uh we'll talk soon awesome thanks for having me of course talk to you later bye <laughs> That was my chat with Miss Nakomi Turner. Uh, again, her show opens up tonight at Fecal Face Gallery. So hopefully, if you're in the San Francisco area, you can make it out to that. If not, um, if you're in, the, I'm sure the show's up for uh, at least three weeks, or you could check out the show online. Um, do that. Go follow Nakomi on all her social medias. You can follow the podcast at Live Free Podcast. You can follow me at Mike Maxwell Art. Um, if you want to donate to the show, you can do that. MikeMaxWire.com. Click on the podcast. There is a PayPal link in the upper upper corner. I think the upper left-hand corner. And you can drop a little dough if you so desire. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. I will talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I, we talked about some, some pressing issues there at the end. And sometimes it's hard to have these conversations without 
like sounding like a shithead. I don't know if I achieved non-shitheadedness or not, but I tried. Um, but I think it's good to have open dialogue and see where people are at in their own life and compare it to how, what your experience is. So um, try to do that next time you find yourself arguing with somebody or if you find yourself having a different opinion, put yourself in somebody else's shoes for a moment. See what it's like. All right. If you can. It's hard. It's hard to do that. But if you can, go ahead and try. All right. All right. Bye, guys. It's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up. Everything is wrong. Everybody sucks. You don't really know why, but you want to justify ripping someone's head off. No human contact. And if you interact, your life is on contract. Your best bet is to stay away, motherfucker. It's just one of those days. It's all about the heat. Just one.